Now, Sam, summer may have only just ended, but I already feel like I could use another holiday. Oof, I feel that too. Summer exotic. Oh yes, and if you're looking for something different on your next trip, look no further than today's sponsor, Crusader Tours. Now, Crusader Tours isn't your run-of-the-mill tour company. They're your ticket to exploring the diamond glaciers of midnight. Sam, they've got a sapphire waterfall. A waterfall made of sapphires. Imagine settling into your seat, comfy on one of their state-of-the-art tour buses, coasting down the Winterwich Canyon and the multifaceted coast. All of this with in-flight entertainment accompanied by expert guides who know midnight like the back of their hand. Yes, oh, I wish. Now, safety is paramount on any Crusader tour expedition and they spare no expense to ensure you are well protected from the peculiarities of midnight. Crusader Tours use the latest and greatest in finito glass technology, 15 feet thick. Wow. 15 feet thick to shield you from extonic rays and keep you safe. Oof, that is so thick. If you're a daring traveller with an itch to explore the unknown, we have partnered with Crusader Tours to offer you 15% off your next tour with the code MOLTOBENE, that is M-O-L-T-O-B-E-N-E, at checkout 15% for all new customers. There were those rumours of some deaths in the uh, Winter Witch Canyon, and I've been told that that has been fully resolved. Terms and conditions may apply. Cause of death may not be liable for Crusader Tours. Go to Graham, go to Planet Midnight, go to Go to how are you, my good friend Alistair? I'm very well. I'm good, thank you. Yes, everything's cooling down a bit, which is nice. It means I can have the windows shut to record quietly without mm. dripping, as I have done for maybe the last six, seven episodes. So I'm feeling pretty great. Literally, I haven't been able to sleep. So today, like today's episode, really enjoyed watching it. It's a classic. It's, um, again, we're sort of dipping into um, like that rich, creamy luxury box of chocolates that we keep on the mm -hmm. high shelf for good occasions. That's not a thing anyone does. <laughs> We're Far too good for children. <laughs> <laughs> We're popping open the nice champagne. That's a better one. Um, yes. Not the nicest champagne, but definitely like a good bottle from the back it's of the It's a nice cupboard. one. It's a nice from one. We've cupboard. had it. We've had it in the fridge. Um, it's nice one you've had cold. before and you know you like. It's one we know we like. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Um, now, despite that, I haven't like prepared super well this week beyond watching. Um, all of my notes are chronological, just kind of like three words per point um, in the notes app. It's okay. It's a good chatty one. That's fine. I've done a little research. I've got I've got my fun facts. I've got my little bio. We're all, we're all good. We're all oh, thank God. Oh, thank goodness. Thank goodness. <laughs> and to be honest, I mean, for all the episodes that we're going to do, this is one that I think you and I have seen multiple times. Look, we, if you'll listen to this and you've already made it this far into the podcast, you know we're doing Midnight. You know what we're talking about. And I think that this is one that like every Who fan worth their salt knows like the back of their hand. So it's not going to be one you've got to go and like particularly prepare for. We're not, we're not visiting a Patrick Trout app, you know? No, and it's, well, funny enough, a Troughton does feature in this one. It, it does, that they do. But um, it's not a complex episode, this one, at all. Um, and there's actually only two sets, <laughs> so <laughs> not too hard to describe. However, it's an interesting one in that we'd never see the monster. We don't even get a glimpse of this week's monster, which is very interesting. Um, I know. 
So yeah, that's a bit of a cracker, this one. This is one of those ones that, you know, if you ever do like a kind of ranking your favorite Doctor Who episode, this one versus this one until you get to your sort of top list. Mm. This one always comes up in my top 10. Um, yeah. So it's interesting because I don't watch it often. I think sometimes you've got one that you know is good, but you don't overwatch it either to kind mm-hmm. of ruin it for yourself. So um, I haven't been back to this one in a while. Yeah, no, me too. I find that series four, I rewatch a lot, but I often find that I watch the begin, like the first three episodes a lot. And then I watch like the last three episodes a lot, but everything in the middle, I don't know that I'm like, not familiar, like I'm super familiar with all of them, but I don't go back to rewatch them. Lots of like Silence in the Library, Forest of the Dead, uh, those kinds of episodes. I don't like, they're not really in my like rewatch roster that much. And this one, yeah, I know it so well, but I haven't revisited it in a while either. And there's some interesting little bits that I like didn't really pick up on. And like when I originally watched it, and there's also some things like coming off the back of like, you know, doing hula la so much, I'm noticing more things that are like underlying plot points, certainly about like the doctor and his character that I, I'm finding like super interesting coming off of a deep dive. So I'm excited to get into this one. Oh, it's a good one. And there's some cracking dialogue in this one. I mean, you'd hope, right? Because this one really is like a very tightly written dialogue-based episode. Oh, for sure, yeah. Sense. I was no. thinking this is the um, maybe only episode of Doctor Who that can be recreated on stage. <laughs> uh, it really could. Right? You could do it yeah. like as a play, like perfectly. Yeah, no, you really, really could. I mean, <laughs> there has been one Doctor Who play before, which recently actually got a character options uh, action figure set. Yes, it's me, I'm Sam. I'm making about action figures again. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, no, I never really thought about that. This would work very well as play. I also think this would work very, very well as a not Doctor Who episode. Yes. It's very self-contained. It's very low cast. It's all the same location. And yeah, I, I'm really excited to get into this one. I read a fact somewhere saying this was like one of the first ever televised companion light stories in that it's only Doctor. Apparently it's one of the first, yeah, one of the first episodes on TV. I don't think mean of New Who or ever. That's so interesting. But now, you know, when when you think about it, how many like companion light episodes can you think of before David Tennant's specials? Not really. Not many. many. And then it's funny because after this, they happen quite a lot. I know like Matt Smith was often getting companionless episodes and Capaldi certainly did as well. I don't think Jodie ever did. I think she she always had a fam. Um, the fam. She always had the fam. But <laughs> but yeah, I think it's really interesting. And I, I also think it's one of my notes. We're, we're, we're jumping straight into the notes, but I uh, really like how they did this production wise because they it's quite well known that they filmed two Doctor episodes at once and they knew that Donna's episode Turn Left was going to be incredibly Donna focused and she was like the main character. So to counter that, they then did this as a sort of like very Doctor heavy episode so they could film both of them at the same time and knowing that they were each going to be in pretty much every scene. That's quite funny to imagine, isn't it? Is that actually for like a lot of the production of this episode, Catherine Tate is off elsewhere doing doing scenes. It's funny to think about that because I did truly think about her just kind of reclining on her sunbed. Um, <laughs> did we name this episode before we talked about it? Did we say we're doing midnight? I think we did say we're doing midnight. I just had a we are doing midnight. I think it, doing midnight. If, by now you should have picked up that we're doing midnight. Uh, a little bit of context for this episode. So this episode aired on the 14th of June, 2008. It uh, was directed by Alice Troughton. No relation, funnily enough, to Patrick Troughton. He's not, she isn't the link to Patrick Troughton that we were talking about earlier. Uh, written by Russell T Davies with a viewership of 8.05 million and an IMDb score of 9 out of 10. Well deserved, I think. So the two episodes of Doctor Who that Alice has directed, um, 
obviously there's one midnight, but also the Doctor's daughter. Oh, okay. And technically, though uncredited, has directed part of The Poison Sky because she must have directed the segment featuring Rose Tyler. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. Which means that she did technically part direct that episode. That's so funny. Alison, would you like a little recap of this episode? Let's dive in. Let's do a recap. Let's dive in. Now, as always, my advice is please just go and watch the episode. It is on BBC iPlayer right now. I don't think Doctor Who's on Disney Plus yet internationally. Is it? I feel like we'd been told. No. no. I mean, girlies, learn what a VPN is, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, as always, like I said, please just go and watch the episode. But if you haven't seen it in a while and need a little refresh, here's a quick recap of the episode. The Doctor leaves Donna relaxing in the leisure planet on a diamond planet called Midnight while he takes a tour bus to explore the landscapes and see the sights of the planet. The planet is bathed in poisoned sunlight, making life on the surface impossible, but the guests are safe behind 15 shielded windows. The group talk amongst themselves after the Doctor shuts down the in-flight entertainment, but the chat doesn't last long. The bus takes an automatic detour and to everyone's confusion stops dead. After the Doctor checks in with the drivers who have sent a distress signal to the palace, a mysterious knocking starts from outside the bus, and soon the entire bus is shaking and faced with darkness. When everything starts to calm down, we see that all the passengers are okay apart from Mrs. Sky Silvestri, who is crouched in the corner, silent and unable to move. They discover that the front of the bus has been torn off and the drivers have been killed. Soon their attention turns back to Sky, who has begun to copy what everyone says. Panic sets in with the group as the mimicking continues, and soon Sky is copying at the exact same time. The Doctor tries to assure the group that she isn't a threat, but they're insistent that she should be thrown out. Pretty soon, their distrust in the Doctor becomes even greater, and they suggest throwing him out too. Suddenly, Skye is only copying the Doctor, and it's not long until she's overtaking his speech. The Doctor is frozen, and Skye can suddenly talk and move again. The group take her away from the Doctor and decide to throw him off the bus instead. The men start dragging him across to the door, but some of the passengers have doubts, fearing that the monster isn't in him, but is draining him instead. When Skye starts speaking like the Doctor, the stewardess realises she's stolen his voice and she sacrifices herself by jumping out of the bus, taking Skye with her. The Doctor is released and they sit in silence until rescue comes, only broken by realising that they never knew the stewardess's name. It's one of the kind of like shortest, most detailed plot summaries we've been able to give actually for a story. I think so, it's, yeah. it's a very intimate little story, isn't it? It really is. I feel like most times we do a little recap for an episode, we have to like cut out like the B plots, but there isn't a B. I think that's the biggest takeaway I think from this episode is that there is no B plot. There is only the plot of the episode. Just plot, mama. Has just, just plot. Has just plot, mama. It's all plot. It's all a plot. And um, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a good plot, I think. <laughs> okay, can I jump in with an immediate high for me from the dialogue? Because um, there was there was a piece I really, really enjoyed here. Absolutely. Um, so we have two characters. We have this couple who are like extremely Brexit. Um, <laughs> and Very it's, it's Biff and Val, which in itself I feel like is like an offensively Brexit naming mm -hmm. for two people, Biff and Val. Biff and Val. Um, also interesting because all like the human guests on Midnight are like taken right out of like the year 2008 on Earth. <sighs> like there's nothing Girl, alien about any of them. That pink polo t-shirt. Oh, he's just like a bloke on holiday. Like he's literally like a dad on holiday literally. in Spain. 
So the bit that I really liked is like Val and Biff are like telling their like holiday stories. The doctor's like forced everyone to have a conversation with each other. <laughs> and um and it's like Biff's like, so I go up to the lifeguard and I said, Where's this pool? And he said, and then Biff and Val together are like, the pool is abstract. And then everyone's laughing, and it's like Val's like, it wasn't a real pool. And Biff says, It was a concept. <laughs> Uh, I just found that really funny it, like him going up to a conceptual pool like that without any context made me laugh um, that's my favourite piece of dialogue I was so confused I was so confused I mean it is funny but I was just like what do you mean it was a conceptual pool <laughs> like, I thought it was so funny it was like it was abstract it wasn't a real pool it was a concept I love what I love that he's like I love when the doctor's like with all the gear and he's like I had my nose plug I was like where's the pool <laughs> That was my favorite oh, bit. I loved it. No, it, it's really funny. Uh, they, they very, I like how you describe them as Brexit couple. That's like the most genuine uh, description that I could ever have for a couple, for that couple. And he, you just really dislike Biff, the dad. You really, really hate him. Random fact, I also have worked with him previously. The actor's called Daniel Ryan. Lovely man. Very lovely man. Oh, I bet they are lovely, but the characters they play are very Daily Mail reading kind of like little England types who have this like very friendly thin veneer and like you scratch just like a little bit under the surface of that and actually you have some like pretty nasty nasty things they want to say exactly Um, Val like later on when he's like I'm just the doctor's trying to defend himself and he's like I'm I'm just a I'm just passing through I'm a traveler she's like well like an immigrant literally i thought the same thing you're like oh god yeah no here we go it's not it's funny because um russell t davis has always said that he's written doctor politically like he was i think he said recently that he was like in my first like four episodes i blew up downing street and had tony blair dead in a cupboard like and you think i'm only recently writing politically it's Um, true but like they are so written in that way what i really like about the eclectic group that are on the bus is you kind of have like one of every person there's like the really boisterous stupid person then i think like uh the vowel she's much more like seething and she's not dumb like i think i think the biff is dumb but she's not dumb she is she just wants to make sure she comes out on top and she'll do what she needs to and then there's the son who's like putting on a front he's really like hard like and goth and he's got painted nails and he's there but really he is just like a scared kid and then you've got like the scientists and the mechanics and the student like you've got so many different types of people that it's interesting when you put all of those people in a pressure cooker container with someone like the doctor who comes with his own ego and personality and sense of righteousness and stuff and you mix them all together and you kind of see what happens and i think that this is why this particular sort of cast of characters work so well is that none of them particularly get on so no one really has anyone who is wholly on your side if that makes sense yeah i really like the dynamic between professor hobbs played by uh patrick troughton's son david troughton mm-hmm. he is really really good the interactions he has with Dee Dee. Didi is his assistant, but it's pretty yeah. obvious through dialogue with the doctor and just things that she picks up on, things she says that she is kind of as observant and as smart, if not more so than the professor is. But he constantly belittles her, even when she just introduces herself to the doctor. He keeps saying, "Oh, don't, don't bother the man, don't bother the yeah. man." And she's the first one to notice that something's weird when the ship breaks down. Because the doctor yeah. goes in and he goes, mm, micro-petrol engines, mm, you know, there's no such thing as like aligning a micro-petrol engine. You don't need to do that. And then yeah. he comes out and he's like, you know, sonic and word everything to kind of uncover that. And she's like, they're micro-petrol engines, aren't they? 
And um, mm-hmm. she's obviously like good enough and observant enough. And she's also one of the ones who at the end is is realizing that, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not sure it is the doctor we need to chuck out. Yeah, no, exactly. I. It's interesting seeing how even the people that we as the audience are meant to be rooting for, like the stewardess, like Dee Dee, who also I think, you know, potential companion material yes, if that ever is. went that way like she very much like the other day when we were talking about our companions she is someone who you know she's inquisitive she's smart she's funny she's insightful she's likable she is the perfect sort of companion um but even the people who we're rooting for when faced with like the fear of death are willing to do awful things like Dee is fully up for throwing this person off it was the stewardess's idea to throw her off yeah that's true i think everyone everyone falls victim to the paranoia Dee is maybe one of the ones who mm. comes off slightly better than the others but yeah she's definitely not um yes she's definitely not getting an invite to the tardis anytime soon exactly <laughs> that's probably what it was but the characterization is very consistent i think for everyone all the way through like you get hints about how they're going to behave kind of under pressure from how they are very yeah. early in the conversation you can kind of guess how a few people are going to behave for example with yeah. the professor the thing that really sets him off the thing that really makes him want the doctor out is uh they kind of say to the doctor, like, oh, why is it so important if the alien gets hold of your speech, of your mind? Like, why are you so special? Because you're so special. It's like, I am. I'm, I'm clever. And then he's like, oh, oh, that's what you are. Is it like, oh, you're clever. Oh, you're cleverer than the rest of us, are you? And then then he's like, now I want to kill him. Yeah, literally. He's like, I have to be the smartest person in the room. It's, yeah. you. I think, <laughs> Or I'll chuck you out of the room. <laughs> he's like, if you're out of the room, then I become the smartest person in the room. Um, no, I think that, to jump back a bit earlier in the episode, I think what works so well when we do see them all in this pressure cooker situation is there is like five or so minutes of montage and like getting to know them before there's the pressure. So like, you know, you meet, you know, the mum and the dad and the son that doesn't really want to be there. And like you said, the professor and her, his assistant who's actually like smart and he is, and then the lone traveller and the stewardess and the doctor comes there and the, getting to see them all and like having the doctor have dialogue with Sky. And I quite like that they kind of like relate with each other the most, I think, because like I was saying earlier, no one is really there. No one really has anyone they can properly like rely on. Like the mum and the dad are like arguing and the son doesn't want to be there with them. There's all this friction between the professor and his student and she obviously is alone. And I think her and the doctor probably relate the most and they're like the solo traveller that is there because they want to be there, but they also like hate the in-flight entertainment and that kind of stuff. And because you get to see who they all really are at the beginning then later when you know shit hits the fan you really get to see how their character like develops and grows under pressure and this is why like you said i don't think any of them are getting tardis invites anytime soon no and you get a few good like hints of what's coming as well like watching it this time around there was a couple of things i noticed um one is like the throwaway line that the hostess makes that's quite funny where she's like fire exit at the rear and should we need to use it you first and i was thinking like no baby you first (laughs) (laughs) and there was another bit when they when the the alien, the entity, whatever is is knocking, and first we just get like dunk dunk, and then I think it's Beth who kind of does dunk dunk dunk, and then you get dunk 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 back, and then eventually you get the four knocks, which was a great kind mm-hmm. of allusion to all of that storyline coming along way down yeah. the line. Um, and then someone, I think, in their panic, I can't remember who shouts it, but someone shouts, "You're the hostess. You're supposed to do something." Oh, it's it's um Val. It's Val, and I was like, "She will." 
<laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> she's, not, she she's, she's like, can you all please go back to your seats? <laughs> uh, and it's good as well because the doctor is suspicious. Like it's it's interesting. Like, I mean, this has come like, I remember seeing the confidential for this and Russell T. Davies said like part of what's scary about this is like the doctor's best tool in any situation is his speech. Like it's his way with words. He convinces people. He persuades people to trust him. He usually like does a lovely big speech and then he's got everyone on board and then he's fine and in this case mm. like it doesn't work like everyone's so scared and so frightened like the more he says the more he kind of like digs his own grave yeah and um and he is weird like you know paying attention to it as well like he he's kind of sonicking the entertainment system off and people see him do that he's sonicking little hatches on the side of the um shuttle and opening things and playing with wiring he lets himself into the cabin where he's not supposed to be he comes back out and he's the last person to see those people alive like there's loads that he does that is weird mm-hmm. and he does set he does set it up for himself no completely i remember watching this on the rewatch and there's two things that I think are really interesting about the Doctor's character in this. The first is exactly like you were saying, like you can see the Doctor like hoard off like an army of Daleks or, you know, being on the brink of death. And when he is just trapped in a room with scared people, he he really mm. is put to threat. And like, I genuinely believe that like, you know, they, if they get together, are strong enough to throw the Doctor out and he could just be killed by these people in this bus because they are scared and he can't worm his way out. Another thing that I've really found interesting is the Doctor's like ego, at the 10th Doctor specifically, his ego and vanity. Like when she's copying everyone's voice and everyone's scared and he's like, you know, I'm the clever one, I should talk to her. And he's talking to her and he's trying to get her to, you know, slip up. So he says like A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, J, K, L, M, A, O, and things like that. And he goes, oh, doctor, you're so handsome. Yes, I am. Thank you. And it's like, he's wasting time trying to figure out what's going on by like giving himself a little vanity boost. Like he doesn't know what's going on. Those like four seconds it takes to say that might be the difference between someone living and someone dying. And he sort of allows himself that time because it's a funny little joke to him. And then later when he's trying to convince people that he's important and they need him alive and that they should almost like, you know, protect him. It's because he's saying like, you know, I'm clever. I'm cleverer than you basically. And then he even says it to Sky. He's like, you've taken my voice, the cleverest voice in the room. Why? And mm. it's almost like he can't see what the effect of that's going to be because he's mm. so focused on the task at hand and like him figuring it out. That then he doesn't, he kind of slips into the trap of her taking him and then if it wasn't for people sort of having gotten to know the Doctor at the beginning and realising words that he uses and says, they may well have thrown him out and it may well have been the end and he would have almost tripped himself up there. It's interesting as well, it's good that he's not his best without a companion. Mm. Like, it almost shows the value, I guess, of someone coming who is an exceptional human who maybe could have helped diffuse that situation a bit more. Yeah, Like, maybe the Donna touch would have helped because presumably Donna wouldn't have got flapped by that situation no i agree and would have been like it's all right like the doctor's got it and like would have maybe been able to convince the others it's fine we do this sort of thing she's normal enough to have convinced the others that you know she's like listen he's a right weirdo he's a skinny man in a suit but you can trust him and that probably would have been enough yeah. and that's like what i was saying no one in the room has that person for them and i think that's what creates such interesting friction i think something that i just like i like about the whole premise for this episode as well is that it starts with us catching them on one of their fun trips mm. so obviously they've just had this hideous incident in the library right before this yeah and clearly the doctor was like i need to actually like you know, give Donna a day off (laughs) and we're going to go to this beautiful spa and everything will be lovely. 
And and lucky enough, like Donna does have a I mean, that's a great episode for Donna. Like Donna does just get a spa trip in this episode. I love it. But presumably they they rang her, I guess, at some point during this, like, oh, like your next of kin is uh is having some troubles on the uh on the shuttle. They kind of told her everything though. They must have just been like, oh, we're just sending a rescue. I thought that because then like obviously when she sees him at the end, she like is aware something's happened, but I think she sits down and asks him to like explain it. So she's obviously been like kind of told like there's been an incident, people have died. He is coming, he's fine, but like just want to let you know because she <laughs> she knows something's up when she sees him. Yeah, unless he rang ahead and he was like, but what would he have said in front of everyone else? Hey, um, yeah, there was a demon on the on the shuttle. Um, it got in, and uh, yeah, people people are dead. <laughs> people are dead, but but don't um, worry, I'm fine. You're not gonna have to like steer the target yourself. You're good. It's all fine. Yeah, but I mean, for her, she got a great trip. Um, uh, fun fact, I'll throw in at this point. I've been in the pool. Um, at the start, have you? Um, the the leisure pool. Where yes, it? it's in it's in the Celtic Manor Resort in Newport. Okay, and um, I I've been in that pool, and I went there with my then boyfriend. And uh, he hadn't seen Doctor Who and hadn't seen this episode. You were freaking out. I never, I never understood that either. Because I was like, you, "But you, but you live in South Wales. I, I don't. <laughs> what do you mean?" And it was like, I was like, "They filmed all over like your your hometown. Like, why wouldn't you know this?" And um, yeah, it was weird. It was weird because it looks. I mean, they haven't they haven't really dressed it. Like the the ceiling is CGI. Yeah, of course. Like the whole like you know that view is. But like the pillars are the same. The pool is the same. The deck chairs are just deck chairs. Uh, yeah. And um, I bobbed around in that pool, babe, and I was like, oh my god, it's like I'm on midnight <laughs> while I'm like <laughs> 22 years old in a pool, just like wow. I did think that when I was watching, I was like, yeah, there's this cool CGI sky, and then below it, it literally does just look like a swimming pool in Newport. That's so funny that they didn't. That's like, a hotel in Newport. Dress it at all. That's funny. I'll tell you one thing that does help transport you to a midnighty eerie world other than the CGI. The music in this episode, I know it's a very U-coded thing for me mm. to be talking about. There's no real like Murray Gold, like bombastic, like nothing in this episode like sticks in my mind as like a tune. It's not something I'll be like humming off the episode, but through a minute, but throughout so many of the like eerie moments, like when they're discussing with each other about what's happening with Sky and there's just like this eerie, like underlying, like it's almost like a violin string or something. It's just like an eerie, like, yeah, no. And before the banging starts, when they're trying to like figure out what's going on, and then all of a sudden the banging starts, and it's like dun 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 dun. Uh, so the music really transport you to horror, but also I was going to say the lighting design in this episode's really interesting. There's nothing hugely like quote unquote artistic, and I know we've been we've been dragged for saying that we've before been for that because yeah. everything is art, which is true, but. It's not like there's anything that is meant to make you go, oh wow, this is like a spectacle. But the little choices they make, the fact that at the beginning they're in the dark and the Doctor is shining the torch on Sky's face, like you do if you're telling a horror story. And then I don't mm. know if you notice this, but then when Sky becomes like possessed and the Doctor is frozen and she stands up and walks around, she always has a spotlight above her. So everyone else is a little bit in the shadow, mm. but she always has a light above her head. And I just think little mm. choices like that just make you so on edge and so creeped out that this really does work it's like a soft horror episode of doc 2 everyone always says Stephen moffat writes the best horror but i i think this is up there it's a really good one i think i was thinking similar it's almost like a little bit too brightly lit to be like such a good horror you almost need like a few more moments in the dark mm. with like flashlights or like 
emergency lighting yeah that's halfway through like everything's red know, the, the backup generator kicks in yeah and everything's lit a bit eerily and green or red or whatever yeah um it's almost it feels a little bit too safe somehow and i think also knowing that knowing that the rescue van is on the way i almost wish we didn't have that detail i wish we had almost lost contact before we yeah. knew help was coming and we were like how are they even if they survive this monster how are we going to get back? That might have added to like the panic a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's always a sense of like, well, if they can just avoid killing each other for the next 40 minutes, it'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I do think having like right from the beginning of the episode before the real dramas happened, they're like, we've called for rescue. They'll be here in like three hours. Uh, it does kind of take the edge off a bit. I, ne- I never found this episode scary. And I think that's what stops it being known as like a horror episode. It's not like Blink or anything. But I definitely think it has the potential to be, and it really is one of the most like psychological episodes of Russell's era, I find. It it definitely is. Apparently, I think when Russell pitched this idea to I think Phil Collinson, the producer, it's all on the confidential. Just watch the confidential. Why listen to it? I like yeah. the confidential. Um he said that how he like set up the idea was just to copy everything that Phil said for a few minutes in a mm. way that was initially really annoying and then got weirder and weirder and weirder the longer he kept doing it um i really liked the tension that was built i think when like this whole first you know incident has happened when people have been kind of thrown around and it seems like something's got in but it's not clear how everything's still sealed except now Mm -hmm. like chairs have been ripped up and you've got sky crouched in the corner and he goes over and he's like sky it's all right sky just want you to turn around face me sky Mm -hmm. and she's not moving and there's nothing objectively like frightening as a still looking at that image it's Mm -hmm. just a woman crouched in the corner in a suit but the longer it goes on the more you're like oh my god what is wrong with her like is she gonna jump is something on her face is Mm -hmm. she hiding something is she dead? Like, it, like, what's she doing? Like, the longer it goes on, like, it's it's really freaky. It's really mm-hmm. freaky. It's really weird. And, like, there's something about, obviously, copying people is scary, but then when she starts saying it at the same time, and it almost makes their voice sound, like, synthetic, like, like they've overlaid the voices too quickly. And it's just really unnerving. And the fact that I really like um, their makeup choices where they gave her the really dark mascara on her eyes. Cause then like, especially when Val says, she's like, I can't stop looking at her. Like look at her eyes. They are, the actress has such like piercing blue eyes in this like cloud of black. And they, even if she's really not doing much, she, like you said, she's just sat there again with a little spotlight on her staring at people saying things at the same time it just is super super like unnerving and there's a line that Val says which she's like she's got my words and I just think that the concept of someone being able to not only copy what you're saying but then take it and take your words away from you yeah that really that that's a very it's a very icky wicky bit that's the bit is that you start to clock that it's not just copying you like it's learning and it's almost as if the whole time Mm. it's using your words it's also like assimilating because it on rewatch it feels clear that what it's done is made a mental connection and when it's copying everyone's words it's almost it's it's sifting through the room and it's trying to like get a feel on everyone and it it locks onto the doctor because that's the one that's interesting and it sticks with that and then it's like, what was the first line? There's the first line where she speaks first. 
It's like, do oh, we I have a it. deal? And it's just yeah. a second before. And it's like, <gasps> and I, I wish I could see my child self reaction to that because I must have been horrified. I can't remember I it know. now, obviously, but it's like that's really scary. I, I remember this is this is okay. You're gonna tease me so much for this. Okay, I remember the day that I watched Midnight for the first time so well. And I remember what I did on this day purely because, and I'm so sorry, Midnight, I love you so much. I knew that the next time would feature Rose. (laughs) So I remember, I remember going to like a a walk along the beach with my family on this Saturday and think, and I was going to my grandparents and I remember being like, I'm so excited to watch Doctor Who tonight. I don't care about what the episode is, but I know that at the end, I'm going to see a little bit of Rose. And um, so that's the only reason I really remember this day well. But yeah, I don't remember that moment, but I would have been gagatrinaed. And then after that, when she's like, oh, look, I think it's letting me go. I'm saying it first. Now you're copying it. Like, it's so unnerving. I like how the hysteria causes everyone except Didi and Shudas to uh, miss that she's obviously the one instigating because Mm -hmm. the... uh, the wording becomes so sinister. It's like, he's waited so long in the dark and the cold and the diamonds and pain. <laughs> and they're like, yes, like, yes, that's Sky. That's they're Sky. They're like, oh, that does sound like that lady. Oh, Absolutely. She's they're back. like, it's him. It's him. <laughs> that's, that's it. That's our Sky. That's it, girl. Uh, it's funny that Malta Bene was the thing that tipped them over. I was watching this uh, earlier today for this and there is something about watching something like this, like by yourself, properly focusing on it. Cause I, I like I said, whenever I rewatch Doctor Who for fun, I'm normally like doing something in the background. It's just like a comfort thing. I can have one in the background, but properly watching it and seeing Dee Dee's realization where she's like, where they're like, Oh my God, it's, it's gone out of her. It's gone into him. And she just goes, but that's not what happened. And she, she's got this such a quiet sort of meek manner and she's trying to say to them like, no, but can't, like she's realized, she's convinced, she's not like confused, she's convinced, she's like, don't you realize like it's not come out of her and gone into him, it's draining him. And it's when the professor shouts at her and it's like, you are mediocre at best, now sit down and shut up. And she's like, I'm powerlessness. And you know, there are three, it's also like quite an interesting commentary on like, straight white male rage where the men are like right this is what we're gonna do there's you know um biff is like we're gonna throw him out like oh you don't think i can do it like you don't think i could do it well watch me do it and then he can't do it so he's like right professor help me (laughs) you help me i don't think i I can't and he's like what kind of man are you yeah exactly what kind of man are you and the women are kind of like stood at the side except for Val like I said earlier she's secretly quite smart she knows what she wants and she wants the doctor gone so she is like egging on she's like well what are you gonna do just stand there you gotta do something and she's the one egging him on Mm. it to the point where her son who I had a note in my in my notes that said uh Jethro is so annoying but I know he's meant to be um because he is just like an annoying angsty teenager but it it, it kind of got me a bit where like he's just stood there like with his hands on his head crying because he's watching his dad like about to murder someone and then his mum shouts at him and saying don't just stand there help him and then he and he's like wiping away the tears and like being forced to do this thing his parents are telling him to that he clearly really doesn't want to do. He said earlier in the episode, he was like, I'm not killing anyone. Like, I'm not doing that. And you really do get to see like how like the blind male rage is just not, it's not right at all. And then like you said, when when she says, that's when the studious is like, no, it's, no, it's her. She's taken his voice. 
Can I take a second to go on about one of my favorite things of all time again? David Tennant's acting performances. Yes, always. I just think it's so, I mean, everyone's acting performance in this is is really, really great. But when the doctor starts to have his words taken from him and Sky is like, oh, like it's, it's you, you're the one now. And he's kind of shaked. He's like shaking a bit mm. and he's staring at her eyes wide open. And he's kind of like chirking out the words and like, it's almost like the doctor is trying his hardest not to do it and he just can't help himself. And then later when he can't even turn around to look at the people and they're saying like, we're going to throw him out. And she's like, yes, throw him out. And I think he's realizing in his head, like there is nothing I can do. There is absolutely nothing to do. And like I said, I think he must also be thinking that his own like quote unquote cleverness is what tripped him up because that's what made the alien choose him. Mm. And it almost looked like he's a, he's like trying to cry, but can't cry. Like his body won't let him in. There's like tears behind yeah, his yeah, eyes yeah, yeah. and he's like choking the words out of him. And I just think his performance in that, like what well, it must be like what four minutes maybe yeah. where he's possessed is just one of my favorite 10th Doctor performances. I just think it's so, so good. It's good because like when he's starting to freeze up and he's got that stare and like you say, he's shaking and I feel like he's like got a little bit of dribble. Something's going on. And and at that time, Sky is like, oh, I'm free. Like it was so cold and I felt like I couldn't breathe. And it's like all of that is starting to happen to the Doctor and you have to assume like that's his experience right now as he's getting colder. He, he feels like he's choking. Mm-hmm. But you don't like, it's not said, but it's like implied like, oh, now that's what I've given him. And there's like relishing in that. Yeah. Um, and as well, like when he's like, because I'm clever, it's not this like yeah. when he angry snaps. thing. He says it angry and it's like almost like the second he said it, it's like, I think I just fucked up. It's like, I yeah. I regret saying that immediately and I'm panicking. Um, it's really, really good. Mm-hmm. It's really, really brilliant. I loved it. I think it's just interesting seeing him get like frustrated with like, because the doctor will often be like either towing the line of like, every human is important and sorry, every human is important and like every life is important. And then sometimes they'll be like, silly little humans. And I think that you know, it reminded me of that bit um, in fear her where he's like fingers on lips and i think that it's that kind of situation where he's just like oh my god you all just need to shut up because you need to trust me i am the clever one here and i will sort it and the fact that that is kind of like his undoing in this episode and it's just he's very lucky i think that there were like you said women on board that had their head screwed on right and were paying attention and noticed things when they were up um because otherwise he would be a goner Similar to this, I like when the Doctor is like, there isn't a vote, it's not happening, ever. If you try and throw her out that door, you'll have to get me past me first. And then there's a pause, and then the hostess is like, okay. And the Biff's like, fine by me. And then he's like, oh, what, what, now you're just being stupid. And it's like, realising that he's got he's got nothing left. Like, if he's not able to negotiate his way out, and he's not intimidating mm-hmm. them there's nothing more he can do like he's not stronger than anyone else like you know if there's like several mm. people in there who want to check him out he's done he's done he's not gonna fight them no i know he, he his words are always what can get him out of a situation and when those are failing him that's a really interesting thought that i li- i just had a thought oh, live on the podcast a thought? <laughs> the, <laughs> no the, there's twice in the episode that his words fail him obviously the main one is when his words are taken away from him but also here that he has a plan in his head of like okay i will use my words like this to have this effect 
and they have the complete opposite effect. And he's kind of like, even before he's possessed and has his words physically taken away, his greatest weapon, his words, like the, it, it, they say it multiple times, Doc, too, that the Doctor's greatest weapon is his yeah. words. And when he gets talking, when that tool is taken away from him because it doesn't work, mm. he kind of is almost helpless he has to say to them like right okay when, when he's like okay i think that thing must be learning and if it's learning it has to stay away from me because i'm the one that needs to be here so let's all be very quiet and um i just don't think he really knows what to do and that i think it, i know i've just, i know I've, that's basically what i've gone on about this whole episode but i just think that's very very interesting mm. there's a couple of little lgbt moments in this episode i want to i want to reference which i quite liked one is we get a couple of times the excellent ladies and gentlemen and variations thereupon Mm -hmm. i think it was quite good dropped in twice it said very quickly as well in a way that was like this isn't an inconvenient way to introduce people ladies and gentlemen and variations thereupon it was very easy the way she delivered that i like no yeah and it also wasn't like a haphazard half way through the noughties like ladies gentlemen and others you know what i mean like it was it was just it was quite like gentlemen and uh banner cafeletta (laughs) (laughs) exactly no it was very like it flowed very well i also realized that sky is um is either like a lesbian or bi or pan because she's like oh recently single mm-hmm. and then she's like she and oh and i was like oh oh and oh um and i was like, oh didn't realize that first time around but <laughs> they killed her off so i can't get too excited about it also like her character, Sky. I mean, I can't get too enthused, right? Like, I mean, like, I mean, the performance is yeah. stellar, one of the best ever in Doctor Who. But most of the time, we see her possessed. The like unpossessed Sky. We don't really know anything about her. What's What's really funny is um, when they break down. She's like, I don't have time for this. She's like, I'm on a schedule. I'm like, to where? You're on a oh, sightseeing tour. What literally. do you mean on a schedule? Where are you going? <laughs> where are you going? There's, there's. So, I literally. I had a note that said, funny, it's funny that Skye is adamant that she's on a schedule. Girl, why did you go on this trip? <laughs> Unless, like, Skye knew that they would find something and Skye was always in and there's a, another theory to be dragged up there. Then she says, I, I, I had another note. Oh my God, you're just reading my notes here. I said, uh, why did it go for Skye? She seemed to know it was coming. Was it just because she was scared? Because their theory, and it is only a theory, is that they're like, oh, well, she was the most scared out of all of us. So it must have gone for her. But she keeps saying, she's like, oh my God, it's coming for me. And then she says something like, she she always said she was going to get me. And then she's super panicking. She, she's panicking not because of the noise, but because she almost knows it's coming for her. And we're kind of led to assume that the she is probably her ex-partner was like, I'm going to get you. And this is probably wholly unrelated. But it is interesting because she, out of all of them, oh sort of God, seemed the yeah. most like something's going to happen. She did say she said she'd get me. Mm-hmm. Which is so interesting. I thought that was like a kind of like throwaway, like, uh, oh, you know, it's a bit like, oh, Neris. But actually, it's maybe a bit more than like, oh, you know, this is a wind up. Who was she dating? Mm-hmm. Who the hell was she yeah. dating? Was it a witch? She, sc- she scared her house down boots. She scared her house down boots. My interpretation of the scene was that whatever this thing is, you know, clearly it's not harmed by extonic rays or whatever it can live somewhere that nothing should live and it appeared Mm. to the drivers right before they died as like a a shadow moving in the distance so i kind of thought maybe this is something that sort of reveals itself to its victim 
if it wants to. Maybe. And so it can maybe like phase between like, you know, it knocks on the doors, but it's almost like a bit of a joke to do that because it didn't need doors. Because when it makes its yeah. way in, it it doesn't rip anything physically. It's just inside suddenly. So I kind of imagined like, or maybe it was like crawling along the ceiling and Sky was the only one who could see that she was coming next. And perhaps indeed, like while it's possessing people and it's moving from one body to the next, you know, if only you could see what it looked like, you'd be horrified, but it doesn't choose to show itself. That's quite a scary idea. Yeah, no, it's interesting that it doesn't it doesn't need to physically break its way in. So whatever it is, it's not a physical entity because it doesn't physically enter and it takes up no space once it's in there. Which makes it almost creepy because it's like, how was it banging on the door? How did it do that? How did it do that? I mean, they they get diverted through an area called the Winter Witch Canyon. And that's interesting to me because I'm like, who named these canyons? Because the leisure company that owns this hotel, they say they dropped down this hotel like from orbit. No one's ever walked on the surface of midnight and it's a computer like automated tour to go and look at things. So I'm like, who mapped the geology and named these areas? Like, what is that based on? Because they think they're the first people to even be on this planet. They think no one's ever lived here. No person's ever set. No living thing has ever been to this planet. I'm like, mm, I wonder why I they called it that. that. But then I'm like, wonder, like, old legends, old myths. Could we call this thing the Winter Witch? Is that what it is? Like, has anyone thought of that's doing that? Yeah, I don't know. But I'm like, that's a good name for know. it, the Winter Witch. I know. I, I don't think that we need to, like, go back to Midnight for another episode of Doctor Who, but I'd be interested for him to just, like, flippantly mention something about its lore, like, as if he didn't know anything about Midnight when he took Donna there. And then after this, he was like, right, I'm going to do my research. And he, like, zipped about in his TARDIS and found out, and, like, found out maybe there was this whole, like, subspecies that, like, used to live there and then, like, lost their bodies when... A bit like the Gelf, I can imagine, where, like, you know, say the Extonic sun rays, like, killed their bodies, but their spirits lived on the planet and they're now, like you know, trying to find physical form, because it's not explicitly said, but what we're led to believe is that the intention of the entity was to stay in Sky's body until they were rescued, then go back to the Leisure Palace and then use the transportation of the Leisure Palace to be able to, like, escape midnight and maybe, you know, create some create some havoc. Run amok. Run amok. Uh, and obviously got halted in its tracks by the stewardess. But yeah, I, there's so much we don't know. I, and I love that. I love that it ends without us knowing. Yeah. Speaking of, I, I my last note they have for the episode was, I I wrote, um, this this is making us love slash hate the humans. And I said um, that Val, when she went after the stewardess, sacrificed herself and Val goes, I said it was her. I wrote Ooh. evil little human. Evil. I wrote evil I, little human. I wrote something stronger than that that I'm not going to repeat. But when she said that, oh, I was on. like, oh, fuck you. And I was like, you, <laughs> you didn't say you. that. She's but, one of the most evil characters we've ever had in Doctor Who. She is horrific. She's the Professor Umbridge of Doctor Who. She is. The way she was like, I mean, when mm-hmm. they're like shifting this, you know, shifting the Doctor out to his death, She's like, hurry up, faster. You know, she's like, she's trying to expedite this process. And she's like, I never, I never, no, for sure. I never said do that. But then also, like, she was saying to Sky when Sky was possessed, like, I can't look at her. Like, she's so evil. Like, get her out. I can't look at her. Get her out. And then when she thinks Sky's released, she's like, oh my God. She's like, oh, come here. Oh, come here, darling. Come here. And she's like, hugging her. And she's like, oh, I always, you know, I always knew. And it's awful. It's ugh. But 
at the end when you know she says that and they it's quite clear they have the rest of the ride in silence the last bit of the episode I like just talking about things that we don't know is when the doctor says like the stewardess what was her name and not a single one of them including the doctor thought to ask and i used to watch this and be like oh the doctor you know he judges them all because no one thought to ask and then rewatching this time i was like well you didn't think to ask either honey no exactly i think he genuinely is like oh my god none of us knew i think i think that's like a reflection as well like i can't even name the person save me and he remembers her because she comes back again you know in like you know the end of the series when he remembers people who've sacrificed himself for her him exactly there was um there was a few other Val things that I just I think Val is such a fascinating character. I think reading it from like the perspective of it being like, you know, a deliberately almost like small-minded, bigoted person who is quite like anti-migrant and mm-hmm. gives into like hysteria. And I think like there is like an allegory there for kind of like you know, someone who believes what they read on the front page of newspapers and kind of gets whipped into whatever like today's culture war is. She she strikes me yeah. as like that type of person. There was a few comments I thought were really interesting that she makes. Like one is absolutely that, which is I said it was her. And it's like, you didn't. And that's shirking of responsibility. And like, well, it's not my fault. You know, I didn't say that. I didn't do that. That wasn't me. I didn't vote for him. Mm-hmm. Very that kind of attitude. Um the way she, yeah, like I think prods her husband into being cruel through trying to make him insecure as well about yeah that was so useless do something that whole like and he's like all right just watch me yeah just trying like you know egg him on but in a kind of almost like shaming him into doing it kind of way like oh he's so useless he's so stupid or you know and she does it to um to jethro as well she's like oh you're just a boy you don't know what you're talking about if he doesn't agree with her he's just a boy but when she wants backing up, she'll ask for his opinion. Um, mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, you're such a bitch. And then... <laughs> she's such a bitch, she really and is. And then there was an interesting thing said as well, like when when she thinks Sky is no longer possessed, she says like, she's gone, she's clean. And I was like, clean oh, is an interesting word to use. It's a really gross word. To, I can't stand Like PSA as well, just if anyone's talking about like health in general, be it sexual or well-being or whatever, don't use the word clean. But clean, I it. feel, it's must not. have been deliberate. And I'm sure there's an element of that oh, in sure. like clean cleanliness. And like, you know, yeah. and I think it's like she's a walking mm-hmm. tabloid, isn't it? And um, I, I just don't think anything's accidental with those kind of words and um yeah i definitely thought that was an interesting one that i picked up on in an episode all about language and words i think that nothing was nothing was left to chance and nothing was undeliberate no and the thing that obviously confirms that as well as the what like an immigrant comment that tells you everything about her political leanings yeah it's gross gross my very final note is of course i was i was gagged to vomiting um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> by the inclusion of uh ms tyler miss rose tyler i mean just mm-hmm. yeah seeing her on there i think i remember them uploading a youtube clip this is back when all youtube clips were uploaded in like maximum 480p um oh, but yeah. the standard good definition was 360p and uh which is so funny but that's where we were um and it was like oh the moment that like 
Rose Appears or something, and it was on like the official BBC account, and it was just literally like a 10 second clip, and I'm, I'm sure I went back and watched it and read all the comments, and what does it mean? Why is it happening? Mm. And I think that was about time we thought like Rose was coming back back, you know? It was like she's found her way As in like she's going to be the next companion, baby. Yeah, where did I think that was going? Like, you know, as a child, I guess I was just so hell-bent on, oh, Rose is back, that I don't think I ever really thought about, well, that doesn't make much narrative sense. You know, that isn't, well, contractually, is she coming back? You know, don't think I questioned that. <laughs> we weren't thinking about that, baby. We were just thinking about Billy. Purely story at that time. I was like, Rose is back. Oh, no, I loved it. I, Any time that she popped up, when she popped up, I mean, I've said it before in our Partners in Crime episode, but when she popped up at the end of Partners in Crime, g- gag to vomiting is the word to use. And it was the same when she was in The Poison Sky and it was the same in this episode. And like, like I said, that was the main reason I, I turned this episode on, I think, is because I knew Rose was going to be in the next time. So when I saw her pop up early during the episode, it's like somewhere around the bus. And then the doctor turns around, it goes like, dun, 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 and you just like, that was so good. So good, isn't it? How he just keeps missing it as well. And you can just so clearly like hear the way she's shouting it. Just Doc, doctor, doctor. Oh, just turn around, just turn around. Can you imagine? What do you do? Can you imagine he turns around, he sees that for like a split <laughs> second, and he's like, um, he's like, wait, did you fucking see you that? See like, that? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, it would have been so funny. Uh, so good, so good. With that, Sam, I'd like you to lead us into our next segment, please. Oh, well, that's so funny because our next segment, it's another game of Camp Okay, so I'm going to tell you three things as always. You've got to tell me if they're camp or damp. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm always ready. I'm going to start with the one that rolls off the back. The Rose Tyler cameo, camp or damp? Oh, so camp. And she looks so good. She always looks catch. She does. She looks so good. So I was I trying to work even out. Even this, I'll tell you what it is. She's got a little bit of tan on. Yes. <laughs> I feel like she, I just, there's a bit of a, she's glowing is what it is. Not a yeah, lot. She's not she like, is. she's not, you know, baked, but she's, and she's got a <laughs> really nice, cool, ashy blonde. And mm. it just looks I nice. I was trying to work out what she was wearing. Cause she looked very like series two rose. Um, I don't know if you really see anything beyond her face, to be honest. I love her. The Lost Moon of Poosh, camp or damp? The naming's great. Yeah, very camp. I like the Lost Moon of Poosh. Um, yeah, camp. Why not? It's camp. Poosh. I think it's fun. It's silly. It's a silly. It's, I like when Doc 2 does a silly. Yeah. There's nothing more to read into yeah. that, really. It's, it's, it's camp. And finally, an anti-gravity restaurant with bibs, camp or damp? <laughs> Even better than that is the line, here's to Poosh. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. Here's to Poosh. And finally, anti-gravity restaurants with bibs, camp or damp? Anti-gravity restaurant with bibs. I really, really like this. <laughs> and it's like, it's almost like an afterthought. With bibs. <laughs> with um, bibs. <laughs> just very funny I, I, it's delivery. beyond damp it's just wet <laughs> it's just sloppy it's, it's also just plausible like i think that is what i don't think that was a joke i think that is what they have in the hotel oh no for sure it, and uh, what's funny to me as well is that like he probably came back traumatized and was like i hate this planet i hate whatever i just experienced but we do have the booking. I know. And I was going to say, we've got the reservation. And, and I do want, and Donna's probably like, and I do need to eat. <laughs> it's like, should we, <laughs> shall we do it? And then just having like a slightly like reflective kind quiet. of like anti-grav dinner, just very quiet with like, oh, God, and you can imagine in the background, the music's like, 
<laughs> and they're kind of like floating and the doctor's just depressed <laughs> eating like a bowl of spaghetti in, in uh, space and Donna's just there like oh it's the kind of content you'd expect in a Doctor Who comic somewhere yes it'll be somewhere it'll be in DWM somewhere let's 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 go digging absolutely now before we round out this episode would you like a couple of fun facts about Midnight Oh, I'd love a few. And there's a lot for this one. I was having a look at kind of like the wikis. I haven't I haven't got any myself, so they're all a surprise <laughs> to me. Well, you'll know them all then. You'll know them all. Well, as we've said, David Troughton plays Professor Hobbs in this episode, who is in fact the son of Patrick Troughton, who played the second Doctor in Doctor Who from 1966 to 1969. Mm. One thing that I think is interesting is that he wasn't the first choice of the role. They originally cast another actor oh. in the part. I can't remember the actor's name. But he broke his leg just before they started shooting and they had to recast. And I don't know why they didn't choose him originally because he was great in this role. And also it's a really great tie to the show as a whole. But yeah, he wasn't the first choice. Damn. I wonder how they thought to get him in. I wonder. Okay, I'm going to sound like a real arsehole now. Go on. So the same show that I worked on with the guy that plays, oh God, what's his name? Joff? What's his name? Uh, Val and... uh, Oh, oh, um, ah, shit. Jiff? Yeah. <laughs> Biff. Biff, 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 Biff. All right, I'm going to sound like a real asshole now, but the same show that I worked on with the guy that plays Biff, I actually worked on with Patrick Troughton's grandson. Oh. He was one of the actors in the show. I'm not sure if it's David Troughton's son or if it was another one of his children's sons, but I remember at the time just being like, you have Troughton blood in you. <laughs> like blood. you're two degrees of separation away from Patrick Troughton. Uh, and that gagged it? me a bit. That gagged me a bit. Yeah. That is cool. I, I mean, like, Nepo Babies, but also, like, it's kind of cool when, like, a family has, like, you know, like, an acting dynasty thing going on, and it's just, like, a family of actors I do actually quite like. Like, something very charming about that. I do want to say, I think I like the idea of, like, any family, like, having a profession. I think it's just very funny. Um, Like, you know, when you have, like, you know, like, literally, like, oh, my father was this, and I'm this, and my father's father was this, too. Like, I think it's such a shame that we don't have people who have, like, generations of bus drivers anymore. Like, if you go to the Transport Museum, you will have, like, they will have, like, these whole, like, walls of, like, he was a bus driver and his dad was a bus driver and they had they were just families of bus drivers. And I'm like, I like that. And they would be bus drivers their whole <laughs> life. And I'm like, this is how things should still be. And, um, yeah, that's my point. <laughs> I, uh, what would you be if that was the, if that was the case? Well, I'd be an accountant, which I don't, <laughs> I don't want to and, be. And I'd be a reverend, so I don't <laughs> Oh, you'd be such a good one. I don't know. Oh, I, 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 sure I don't know. I think being think. religious has to have something to do with it. I don't know. We're not getting into that on this episode, no, honey. No, we're not. I think my dad's and, dad was like a bit of a handyman. I think he was... Is kind of yeah. I mean, and that is more me. I'd like to. I think in a, an ideal version of my life, I'd be like outdoors doing something with my hands, but in like a very like un in the un, sun. No, um, in a <laughs> in a cold climate, just like like in a shed in the cold. Uh, uh, like in a coat i don't know just like just <laughs> comfortably you're like i'd love to be outdoors but not in the sun but also not cold just like and also definitely not wet i could be like a great lollipop lady like something physical <laughs> oh that God. like doesn't you not, think being a lollipop lady is the epitome of physical work like it's just it's tangible it's real work it's real like you <laughs> you've done you've, you've done a shift <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm so <laughs> serious. You like I believe you, you come but that's to work why it's so funny. And you fucking step into the road, you get the kids to where they need to be, and you're, and you're like, right, it's 12 o'clock, everyone's crossed, and you, you've done a proper day's work. Like, none of this, like, oh, I find it so embarrassing, small talking. It happened to me twice today. Like, oh, um, so what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I do internal comms. And they're like, oh, how is it? And I'm like, yeah, a bit quiet at the minute. And they're like, oh, do you work at home? <laughs> yeah, work at home. Like, shut up. I'd so much rather be like, I'm a fucking lollipop man. And they're like, oh, like immediately they'd be like, oh, how nice. <laughs> like, real work, real work. Oh, my God. Or like, I'm a postman. You... Like, that's the kind of thing I should be doing. I just, I'd be such a good postman, actually. You would. You'd make me laugh. Uh, would you like another fun fact? Yeah, go on. <laughs> I'll rattle through my rattle through. This is this is actually the first complete story where the TARDIS doesn't appear since Genesis of the Daleks in 1975. Isn't that crazy? So they said that in obviously the classic era they'd have multi episodes in a story, uh, and it was quite often that you'd go by an episode without the TARDIS in it. But for a whole like story, yeah, 1975 Genesis of the Daleks was the last one that didn't feature the TARDIS. Well, I didn't even think about that, and I think that all lends itself to the un-Doctor Who-iness of it, or like at least like the sense that this could just be a horror, perhaps, is that there's no TARDIS. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, d- I didn't notice it wasn't there. Yeah. You know? Midnight was originally set to be episode eight of series four, with Science in the Library and the Forest of the Dead happening afterwards. And had this had been the case as it was originally planned, it would have been the 50th episode of the revived series. And a reference of this was put into the plot by calling the bus the Crusader 50. Crusader 50. Oh, okay. Okay. It was meant to be the 50th episode. And then it got snubbed and it went to silence in the library. So the joke doesn't even land. <laughs> the joke doesn't even make sense anymore. Um, I'm glad it goes where it goes. I think it's kind of nice that the doctor like took on a little like spa break after she had to like meet her dream man in a parallel world and then have that dissolve around her. Yeah, well I guess that would have been them going to like Space Chinatown. But yeah, I like I like that she got her spa break. Yeah, that's what I guess that's where they go right after this isn't it they're like right that didn't work so now we go let's go on another fun thing this one will work and then she has another parallel world built around her instead (laughs) it's always one after the other two for two um and one thing it's not really a fun fact because everyone knows it but i just thought it was interesting obviously colin morgan who plays jethro in this uh ended up playing merlin Mm. and sort of getting international fame for that but i didn't realize this was pre-merlin merlin Merlin came out in 2008 but after midnight did so he was in this he's one of the people like andrew garfield that was in doctor who just before he was famous interesting i never saw merlin but i remember him looking like a real baby at the start of that so i i guess i thought he was already doing that for some reason but then i guess if he was already quite big then he really had a small role in Doctor Who for this one. Yeah. I know that he's worked no, opposite exactly. Eve Miles as well for another project. I can't think what. I think I think in a film of them. Oh, that's cool. I remember he was in Humans. I was going to say recently, but that was still like 2015. Oh. But he was very good in that. Well. Well, Alice, what did you think of Midnight? I thought it was a great episode. I really enjoyed it. I, I just thought it was great. I thought it was a really good story. It's another one of the ones that I'd like to see remade just because i know the script is so good that i almost want to see it like remastered like not that anyone's Mm -hmm. performance i don't want anyone's performance to change i almost just want to see it with like a slightly beefed up set and like slightly beefed up lighting and like cinema cameras you know what i mean like it's just one that i almost want to like i just want to see it get like 
2023ified and just like mm. relive it that way and maybe just someone someone dial up the creepy a little bit would be yeah. cool no um, i know but it's a great story does that make sense no completely i think it's one of the ones that like we've said this with other episodes i think you could if you wanted to like remake this and like take what was already good and not change a single thing about the script but just like change some lighting choices and like give them a different design maybe the bus is like a little bit bigger and has different sections or something i don't know like there's stuff you could do just mm. to like amp up like the horrorness of it but yeah no i agree i really really love this episode really great dialogue i'd love to see it like translated into a stage play i think that's a really interesting way of like a stage performing play. it no I, yes, I do they could no they could they could do it they could do it they, they really it. really could i pay top dollar I would pay top dollar to see that. Well, thank you so much, dear listener, as always, for listening to another episode of Hula La. Next week, we are very excited as we are going back onto our Here's What You Missed on Who series, looking back at the life and lives of the 12th Doctor. Ah, uh, it's another summary episode. So if you manage to miss the entire 12th Doctor's era, don't worry, we are here to bring up to speed. Or indeed, if you did watch it, but you just need a bit of a revision as we approach the 60th anniversary specials and we get thrust back into new Doctor Who content and you'd like to remember all the places the Doctor has been up until now, then we're going to bring it up to speed. Exactly. And I know me for one will definitely need to refresh on some of the 12th Doctor's episodes, in particular, The Return of Doctor Mysterio, because I cannot remember what happened in that one. I truly can't. <laughs> That's actually okay (laughs) (laughs) that's fine well in advance don't let it bother you well in advance of next week's episode we would like to hear from you please send your voice notes our way you can dm us you can reach out to us on twitter or x instagram tiktok threads all of the above or our hulala email address we're sorry if we have missed any of your messages in the past we can't get every single person's in much as we would love to but we are always grateful for you reaching out to us but please let us know what do you think of the 12th doctor's era what do you think of peter capaldi's performance as the 12th doctor do you like clara oswald do you like bill do you like it when i ask you this many questions reach out to us on any of our social media before next week to let us know and if you have a moment we'd really appreciate as well if you could give us a rating on wherever you listen to your podcast whether it's apple music or spotify or something else we've actually been getting some really nice reviews that during the last couple of weeks but they look fake <laughs> it looks like we placed them Really? And uh, they're really nice. Yeah, on Apple Podcasts, we had one person named a secret reviewer. Put your names, guys. I'd love to read these out. This podcast hits the sweet spot between playful chatter and analytic insight that I've been searching for in a Doctor Who podcast for as long as I can remember. Oh! oh! The two presenters are funny and work off each other seamlessly, leading to a brilliantly enjoyable experience. Criminally underrated. <gasps> I promise we haven't planted that. Oh my <laughs> god, like I hadn't read did. that review. That was lovely. And I, and I, and I can second that we didn't plant it (laughs) we didn't um this now this sounds fake as hell the next person said love it and the the username is really real review and it is a real review (laughs) so now it's alistair did you write that i didn't write these they said that's the review also hurry up and get to more episodes please this must be when we had a break a couple weeks ago um so thank you for your lovely comments we very much appreciate that and we'll be checking back to see if uh if you've done what you were asked to do today which is leave them and put a name on it so it doesn't sound so bloody suspicious <laughs> you've been told you've been told well as always thank you so much for listening and we will see you next week see you soon bye bye